0: everybody. It's good to see faces. Um, Just before jumping into uh, the sermon this morning, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, in prayer uh, together. And so I've asked a few different ones to participate uh, in this together. And so we're going to be praying for Crossroads Church, which is just around the corner here. We met with Pastor Pete uh, just a few weeks ago uh, and the season of COVID has actually been a season of growth for their church, uh, which is something significant. Uh, most most churches and whatnot are saying, "Man, we've really taken a hit. We've gone through quite a few struggles." But Pete's testimony was, "Man, we've we've seen kind of more people get connected than we've seen in a long time. Uh, so it's actually been that COVID's been a good thing. Hey, what are you doing here?" <laughs> I thought you guys were still down south. Um, good to see you. Um, but uh, so we we're just thankful for how God's worked, even through challenging times, still blessing His church. So we're going to be p- uh, praying for Pete uh, and Day as they lead Crossroads. Uh, also, then praying for uh, Jesse Goins, um, his family, the Goins family uh, moved up into New York, Queens, New York, not too long ago and they've been doing some missions work with the immigrants there. So Jesse's actually going to be with us in the month of April, so coming up fairly soon. So we're going to be praying for them. And then finally, uh, holy ambitions. We're just kind of keeping these holy ambitions before us, continuing to intercede. And just so you know, this was part of our conversation this past week, is when it comes to holy ambitions, we can pray through those things. um, But those things actually... They require us to do things eventually, not just pray. Praying is where we begin, but then action needs to be taken. And uh, so at least this morning, we're praying for one of these holy ambitions, uh, an earnest desire for the spiritual gifts. And over the years, we've done things to pursue uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence uh, among uh, his people. And so we're going to be praying into that as well. So Ali, you want to kick us off?
1: Well, God, I just want to pray for Pete and Day for stay in the Crossroads family. Knowing them personally, God, I know their heart for you, their value of the church and the body and their value of community, even in a place where community is hard to be found and cultivated. So, God, I just want to pray first a blessing over Pete and Day for stay in the work that they have put in. They have toiled Rocky soil, time yeah. and time again, mental illness challenges within people in their church, in physical struggles within people in their church, drug addiction within people in their church, and regardless of what they've encountered, they have exceeded expectation and succeeded in pursuing them in prayer, and God has won the victory on their behalf, sending more aid to their side to fight this battle and to win the war against community versus um individuality. So God, we just, we pray for them. I just pray that blessing over them, God, that your peace would surround them, that your hope would surround them, that you would offer them more and more of your presence as the times get tougher and tougher. For we know that when we meet times of trial, you encounter us with your grace and your sufficiency. So we thank you for Pete and Day and their willingness to see through the hard times and to seek your face in it all. For the other side of Torsdale is not the same as this side, God, and we we want to thank you for the cultivation of community that they have created through Crossroads Church. God, I also pray for the building. I pray for the safety of the location. I pray for those that attend. I pray for the upkeep of the building. I pray that you would have all needs met on their behalf, Lord, both financial, physical, and spiritual, God, you would come to their aid and be the provider like only you can be. And God, I I just pray for that church family, that they would continue to grow, that they would create the bonds that would be eternal, and that they would continue to be fruitful and to multiply in that area. We thank you that they are fully grounded, that they are fully rooted. They're no longer a church plant, but they are planted. And we thank you, Lord, for what is going to grow out of Crossroads Church. And we thank you for the legacy that they leave onto their daughter, Pearl, as well, God. And we just pray your fruition, even throughout their family line, that you would become to be known and to be carried out in that neighborhood. So we pray a blessing over them in your name. Amen.
0: Let's pray, Lord, we uh, intercede for the Goins family. God, thank you for the vision, the calling that you've placed upon their life to go and serve in Queens, New York. Thank you for their heart, for the lost. God, we we thank you that you have placed, even within Jesse, the, the gift of evangelism, um, something that um, is, is granted and yet takes faith and and, and work to see made effective. And so thank you for his, the work that he's put, put into it, the discipline that he's put into it. Thank you that he, he's taking risks to engage the lost. Lord, thank you that he's stepping out of his comfort zone so often to engage. Thank you, even as he said last time that he was with us, how his, his motto is to just live loud for Jesus. So, Lord, we, we do pray that for Jesse, for his wife and for their children, that the way that they live in following you, as well as the way that they speak on behalf of you would all resound to your glory and that it would be seeds that would be planted, that would be effective, that they would bring forth growth and fruitfulness in the life of others. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would you would bless their words as they would preach as they would speak, that there would be a confidence that in their speaking that you are blessing their words and that you are working regeneration in the hearts of others. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for their hearts for the immigrants. God thank you that 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 is something of how you define your own heart and your own character, that you're for the alien and the stranger. You're for them. So God, thank you that you you open your arms to those who are strangers. And so, Lord, we pray that something of what Jesse carries in resembling your own heart for the lost would also be something that's a bit contagious, (laughs) that other churches would kind of carry something of your heart as well, in terms of caring for the immigrants. And so we ask your blessing upon their ministry. We ask that uh, they would challenge other churches in how they go about that ministry. And Lord, we do pray uniquely for protection upon the children. Um, We pray that they, even at a young age, would see what their parents are doing and not and not pull away from those things, but actually see you at work and know that you're the one who is worthy of such sacrifice. You're the one who's worthy of reordering our lives so that our lives align with your mission. So, God, I pray that you would protect their hearts from any kind of uh, hardness towards you, but that you would also then begin using them at a young age, not only to see what their parents are doing and modeling for them, but also become um, those who contribute to the mission as well, even at a young age, to see those who are lost brought to you. Bless them, we pray, Lord, bless them. Even right now, God, we, just, we ask your Holy Spirit to move in on them. And where you know their needs, God, would your presence be known even to them this morning? So we ask these things, Jesus' name, amen.
2: And Lord we ask we ask for an earnest desire for spiritual gifts. Lord, please lead us into into the kind of lifestyle, into the kind of obedience that that stirs that desire up that we wouldn't, you know, like like Dan said, that we wouldn't just pray and then do nothing about it, but please uh, lead us by the hand and even carry us when we don't want to go into a way of living and a way of obeying you where we're stepping out and we need you to come through that you'd stir up that, that real desire. Lord, that Lord, I I think of the passage that says that you give spiritual gifts to each Christian for the common good. Please, please, um, reorganize our lives around the common good in the middle of a world that is so everyone for himself, everyone for herself. And Lord, in this neighborhood when where, where many in this neighborhood would say, I can't trust anyone except for myself. I don't have any real friends uh, because everyone's just looking out for themselves and I have to look out for myself. Lord, make us a church where we live for the common good and we're fueled by desire to seek more of you because we just want to serve the common good. We're not just living to make money and spend money. We're not just living for politics. We're not just living for entertainment. But but build our lives around the common good so that we would see the needs that we might be overlooking. We need we need your spirit to empower us to go and meet those needs that Maybe we'd rather ignore, but help us not to ignore those things. And Lord, help us to, to not sit back and wait until we feel empowered to step out. Right, Lord, uh, thinking of the Apostle Paul who says, we were with you in weakness and fear and trembling. Like, that's how the Apostle Paul preached. He, was, he felt weak. He didn't feel like, and 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 he knew people were talking behind his back. Like, he's not an impressive preacher. He, you know, he didn't he didn't wait until he just felt so fired up that he would be impressive. Uh, Lord, and and I pray that we wouldn't pigeonhole the spiritual gifts into thinking like, yeah, the spiritual gifts are just when you're so good at something that, you know, it's just obvious you just are gifted and you're stepping out and you're you're led and you're confident. Like, no, Lord, give us a Make us a church where we do ministry for each other in weakness, and we step out to meet the needs, trembling, and we we try to take those baby steps to 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 stir up our spiritual gifts, and we're like trembling. We don't know if we're doing it right, and we don't know if we're kidding ourselves um, because we're not just full of like some self-confidence. We're just trusting you, like the Bible says. When we really operate in the spiritual gifts, it's actually obvious that it's not us. It's obvious that it's your power. Please stir up these desires in this God, that we would be spending our lives, spending our energy, not in a way that makes us look good, but in a way that makes you look good. And that we'd be, yeah, we wouldn't think spiritual gifts are a nice to have, an optional accessory for the Christian life. Um, But just make us see, make us see the needs, make us see the lack, make us see the things that aren't being met so that we would be crying out to you, Lord, let me be the person who meets that need. Let me be the person who has a word of encouragement. Let me be the person who shares the gospel with my neighbor at just the right time when you knew they needed to hear it, God. Lord, let me be the person who prays for healing. Let me be the person who opens my home up and shows hospitality. Let me be the person who organizes and administrates. Let me be the person who connects with you in, in my prayer time in a deeper way, and you fuel me and energize me to go and spend myself for someone else. Lord, don't even know how to pray for this the way I should, Lord. Because uh, I, I feel so far from what, from where we could be, Lord. But please lead us and carry us. You want, you want us to be, you want us to be using and stirring up these spiritual gifts more than we want, more than we want to have them. So give them to us. Impress us with the need. Give us this authentic, real desire to to grow in the spiritual gifts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Uh, is my soul good. Pray together. Uh, If you're online with us earlier, we were having some uh, just technical difficulties uh, trying to get the sound. So thank you for uh, bearing with us. Uh, We're going to be in John 4 uh, this morning, back to the woman at the well. And we're going to be reading through verses 16 through 42. So we're going to pick up the last half of uh, this story. Uh, and just to kind of caveat this morning, we're we're going fairly practical, so we're going to touch on this story a bit, but we're going to look to the practicals of things a bit more this week and into next week. So John chapter four, if you remember, John or uh, Jesus is is come to Sychar, in this. Town is in Samaria, which is a big no-no for a Jew like Jesus and his posse with, the, with his disciples to come into a Samaritan town. Uh, but Jesus, he decides to do this. He had to do this, as the text says. And he comes, wearied as he was, sits at this well. And this woman, this Samaritan woman, uh, comes to him. And he begins a conversation with her, offering himself to her as the living water. She doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So in verse 16, Jesus goes on to say to her, "'Go, call your husband, and come here.'" And the woman answered him, "'I have no husband.'" Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying, "'I have no husband, for you have five husbands, "'and the one you have now is not your husband.'" "'What you have said is true.'" And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. She leaves her water, the very thing that she came to, uh, to get. She leaves her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, "'Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?' They were out of the town, and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, "'Rabbi, eat,' but he said to them, "'I have food to eat that you do not know about.'" So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him, the Father who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say they are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, her testimony being, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Last week, uh, we saw that Jesus came... the wounded sinner. Remember when we step into chapter four, we're assuming that we've already read chapter three, the story of Nicodemus. And so you have these two stories, Nicodemus, woman at the well, they stand in tension and contrast to one another. Here's Nicodemus. He's a man. He's a named man. He's a moral man. He's a socially influential man compared to a woman, an unnamed woman, a Samaritan woman, an immoral Samaritan woman woman, an immoral Samaritan woman that is a social outcast, a reject. She's coming to the well at noon, knowing that no one else will be there at that time. These two stories are intended to stand in contrast to one another to help us recognize that no one is beyond the need of Jesus like old Nicodemus, but no one is outside the reach of Jesus like this wounded woman woman, this wounded sinner. The emphasis, really, because of this contrast is, is recognizing this, this woman is hurting. It doesn't take away from the fact that she's a sinner, but it, it's to point more clearly to the fact that she is a wounded sinner, and Jesus has come for her. Jesus came into this world for wounded sinners. And why? As the text would say, because it's the Father who is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, He's seeking those, as we mentioned last week, who will bring all they are, wounds included, to all He is, spirit to spirit, and in truth, through the access that Jesus has given us. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus will say, no one comes unto the Father but by me. The Father is seeking worshipers, those who will come to him in spirit, that they will bring all they are to all he is through the truth that is Jesus. And the invitation to such worship would be such that we would recognize from this story that the Father is actually inviting us, wounds included, to actually wrestle with our wounds in the context of worship. He's saying, bring your neediness to me, in other words. Let's let's wrestle through your fractured and broken life together. This is... This is what Jesus provides us. He's not only the the living water that provides the level of healing and satisfaction to our own hearts, but now he provides access to the Father that I can bring all my brokenness in relationship to the Father. And the Father says, come on, bring it. I want it. Now wrestle. Let's together wrestle through the woundedness of your life until that woundedness becomes the very ground of your worship. Just to remind you, uh, the Old Testament book of the Psalms, remember, it's, it's their worship book. It's their hymn book, right? And, and what is the book of Psalms filled with? This kind of perfect life? Isn't this great? One, It's all about these struggles. It's all about the psalmist bringing his woundedness to God, saying, God, where are you? Right? Battling with God, wrestling with God, trying to figure out his brokenness, his woundedness, his circumstantial dilemmas, his deep heart aches and agonies. This is all part of worship. Our wounds aren't to keep us then from relationships. Our wounds are to be brought into that relationship where in worship we're wrestling with our wounds until that Becomes the very ground of our worship. It's the story of Job, for instance. You guys know it, right? Uh, Job loses everything, gone. All of, all of life but his physical life is taken. And you watch the progression, you know, unhelpful friends trying to come and counsel him. But a large portion of the book of Job is actually Job and God interacting with one another. He's interacting with God about his his hurt. All until it comes to the point at the end of Job, where Job finally comes to the point of saying, God, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Because he's wrestled with his wounds in the context of worship, he's now come to an actual deeper place of understanding his God and a greater intimacy with his God. It's actually fueled his worship. I once heard of you, but now my eye sees you. I apprehend you in a new way. And therefore, he says, I take back all my words. And I repent, he says, in dust and ashes. So the aim of this little short series that we are working through is is to invite us to wrestle with our wounds in the octagon of worship. Bring it to the Father until that worship becomes the very ground of our... Those wounds become the very ground of our worship till we, like Job... Say, uh, I, I heard of you, but now I see you. I apprehend you now in a greater way. Now, this morning, I, I want to simply look at the nature of our woundedness. Um, and when I'm speaking of woundedness in the context that we're heading, um, we could say woundedness, we could say trauma, we could use those terms interchangeably. And so we're going to look at the anatomy of our woundedness and the answer to our woundedness. Um, And and again, the aim today is to get really practical. I'm going to touch on the text at a few points, but it's just to get some practicality put in place uh, for us to help serve us. So point one is this, the anatomy of our woundedness. You are normal. I didn't throw that into the first point, but it's like a, a, a subtitle to the first point. The anatomy of our woundedness... You are normal. Uh, I don't know how many times I've sat in discipleship moments, caring for folks, counseling, and, and whatnot, and, and almost the immediate response to talking through woundedness is, You probably think I'm crazy. <laughs> and it's to say, No, you're, you're not crazy. You're normal in terms of your responses to the woundedness that you've endured. This is normal, so part of just looking at the anatomy of our woundedness is, is, is intended for us to just kind of get a perspective on how woundedness affects us and how we typically respond to it so that in moments where emotions may suddenly be high because of circumstances that trigger certain feelings and whatnot, we, we can stand back and say, oh, like I, I get what's happening here, rather than not knowing what's happening and fear then striking and panic fueling the emotions that have already been triggered so it's just helpful to sit back and say hey let's bring some normalcy to the experience of our woundedness now it's clearly implied from the broader context like i mentioned that this woman this woman at the well is a wounded woman but it's explicitly seen in verses 16 through 18, Jesus begins to draw her out, and we find that this woman has a history of husbands. Um, There's five husbands, and now the man that she's with is not her husband, right? So it's this It's this context where we see symptoms of her life at work, and yet we don't see the deeper things. Those aren't named. Uh, But we can reasonably conclude that what is going on with this woman is that she's trying to find some solution to the woundedness of her heart, or in her pursuits, she's become wounded. To our woundedness... um, Of course, it's always intermingled with sin. And I don't mean to bring up the issue of sin only to compound, man, I'm like trying to wrestle through my woundedness right now and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, The process is never a holy process. Kind of work through our woundedness to be able to identify what's happening and what's going on in our life. It's never a holy process, and yet God invites it. The Father is seeking you, to come and bring all that to him so here is a woman who's obviously sinning and yet her sin evidences that there is clear-cut woundedness that is going on so let's explore a little bit of the anatomy of our woundedness first the cause or causes our woundedness can be caused and we've talked through this before uh, our woundedness can be caused uh, through circumstances That is where an undeserved, unexpected trial or tragedy randomly hits our life. You know, from, uh, we could say, from the soldier who's, you know, hearing the first mortar rounds hit and he's suddenly waking up and there the firefight begins to happen. These are traumatic events. These are events that affect us, circumstantial, sudden. They jar us. So from the soldier on the battlefield to a woman who miscarries a child, you know, to the experience of a sudden car crash, to the loss of loved ones, to frontline workers who are constantly engaged in tragedy and seeing death take place to then the very situations that this season has brought upon us with COVID, right? There has been this constant kind of ongoing, while it isn't uh, necessarily these extreme things that are going on, it's been a duration of just ongoing fears that we've encountered through this season of COVID. Uh, While it's not crazy, it, you know, situations, it's, it's subtle, and the duration of it tends to have an impact in the long term, where we're carrying these fears, these unknowns. What will this COVID do to our lives? What impact will it have on our lives? What about all the unknowns for tomorrow? How that's going to all Where We just constantly are carrying these different levels of fears and unknowns. These are circumstantial Wounds or traumas that we experience. Woundedness can also be caused, then, we know this, by others, right? By what others do to us or fail to do for us. From the, from the abusive uncle to a church fallout. It may not be any one particular person's you know, fault, but, it, but, but, but there, there, there's a fallout, there's relational conflict, there's loss. That's experienced. From the absent father to the unfaithful spouse, it's wounds that are caused by what others do or fail to do. So our woundedness can be circumstantial, it can be caused by others, but then finally, it can be caused by our own doing. This involves the decisions we personally make or fail to make. Like I mentioned last week in the story, you know, sharing my journey of being shy and how all that began, always desiring approval from my brothers and yet never feeling like I got it. I put that standard upon them. It was like a self-imposed wound that I brought about because I was placing God-sized expectations on things that my brothers could never truly satisfy in me, a sense of true affirmation and approval. And so that then became something that was a lens through which I saw my world. Well, I'm not approved. I don't fit in. I got to earn approval either by achieving it and fighting for it or through flight. I'm just not going to even try. So the decisions that I made only compounded the wounds that I experienced in my life. It was my self-imposed, my decisions, my perspective caused the harm and the woundedness that I carried for so long. Sometimes our own decisions or our failure to make decisions can cause woundedness. Um, and the causes then of woundedness can be multi-layered. Right? It can be both circumstantial, it can be others doing things and failing to do things, it can be me responding to all that stuff in the wrong ways, which only creates more and more trauma, more and more chaos. So the causes can be circumstantial, it can be others, it can be our own doing, or it could be a mishmash of it all. Now, the effect that this woundedness, that these traumas have on us, are, are, need to be recognized uh, as well. Uh, you know, perhaps through COVID, for instance... You felt like life has slowed down. There's not as much busyness. I'm not running around doing a whole bunch of stuff anymore, at least not as much, but I have this, like, added sense of exhaustion to life. Well, that's because that woundedness affects us on every level of our beings, Uh, We've talked through this, that the Bible says that God created us, yes, in his image, but he created Adam from the dust, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's to recognize that you are, in your makeup as a human being, you are body, and you are spirit. You are material, you are immaterial, and scripture will go on to explain, give various terms to explain just who you are in your makeup as a human being. Largely, it it demonstrates the fact you're physical, you're spiritual, but then Scripture will also use the term soul to explain our makeup as a human being. That term soul is psyche, right? Uh, In several places within Scripture, it actually will, will reference the emotional and mental side of our being. And so when we experience circumstances in life that are a bit traumatic, it has an impact on every level of our being. It's not just the mental race. It's not just the emotional turmoil. There's spiritual aspects to what is going on in those moments. And, of course, there's physical aspects. So with COVID going on, you're carrying a level of added emotional weight. There is this ongoing fear that's always on. And so over time, you may not be doing as much, but you're still carrying more than you carried before because you're enduring this fear. And so physical exhaustion sets in. What is spiritual will affect you physically. What is physical will affect you spiritually and everything in between. In fact, the psyche is like the fabric between two, well, well, the seam between two fabrics. It's the It's the thread that holds it all together. It's what overlaps, makes the the body and the spirit integrated. It's where we make sense. It's kind of the operating uh, center of our being, where we try to make sense of what we are experiencing spiritually and what we are experiencing physically. So oftentimes, even with, as we've gone through COVID, perhaps you find your mind racing, About this thing and that thing. and It's fear is stimulating now all of these thoughts. There's an emotional burden now that you're carrying. And yes, it has implications on your spiritual well-being, right? Because fear always is going to erode faith. Those are going to stand in tension with one another in one way or another, right? But it's also going to have a physical impact upon you. You're going to be exhausted because you're carrying this emotional burden of fear, so when it comes to our woundedness, traumatic events, even slight ones, for some it's been more than others, but even in this season of COVID, we're going to feel a, a physical effect to the fears that we're carrying, as well as a spiritual battle now to figure out how truth informs the very fears that we're carrying. And scripture will show that we are this integrated being, you know, the, the common text that we Uh, run to, is found in Psalm 32, 3. The psalmist says, For when I kept silent, he wouldn't confess his sin. When he kept silent, he says, My bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. So he's saying, I I didn't confess my sin. I held on to my spiritual brokenness. That had emotional consequences, I'm groaning all day long, and that had physical consequences, it feels like my bones are wasting away. So you watch how the body is an integrated, or the, our being is an integrated being. Body, soul, and spirit. So when we have encountered woundedness, when we have come through or have encountered traumatic events, it's going to have an impact on our whole being. And it's important just to have that in perspective. That when I go through difficult things, it's going to affect me on every layer of my being. Now, what kind of experiences does woundedness or trauma have on our being? What are the symptoms? What are, what are the ways that we typically respond to the traumas or woundedness that we experience over the years uh, I've benefited from a guy named Brad Hambrick uh, he's a pastor licensed counselor does a lot of teaching on traumatic um, experiences and whatnot and so he he gives three particular symptoms and I'm, I told you earlier we're going practical right um, ne- uh, next week we'll look at more of like the journey through our woundedness uh, but just to give some perspective okay what would it, would it how might I respond to the difficult things that I experience? The first one that Brad Hambrick mentions is hyperarousal. and I know it's like, what are we getting all clinical and psychological here? It's helpful. It's helpful to just know. It's helpful to have the categories before you. Hyperarousal, as Brad Hambrick mentions, he says it's where our fight or flight response is always keyed on. Right? We're emotionally just always on. It's hyper arousal. And when it comes to uh, the, the flight, it's the idea of I'm, I'm always trying. It's a hyper arousal. i got to have all of my life kind of set in such a way that caution is always being worked. And I'm dodging any particular added trauma that might come my way. So it's hyper arousal to keep all of life just in a place of safety. Right? Which... Again, that's impossible, right? You're placing impossible tasks on yourself while this hyper-arousal is eventually going to exhaust, exhaust you. So whether it's flight or fight, sometimes it's trying to make sure everything is where it is to make sure no added trauma comes against us, but at other times it's to set up the barriers of your life. And be on guard, and as Brad says, being on guard is one step away from being aggressive. So it's the emotional on that is like as soon as someone crosses that line, I'm on them, interrogating, "What are you doing?" You know, trying to get to back them off. And so life is lived in this hyper arousal, which becomes exhausting eventually. Um, what I've found in interacting with folks uh, who who this maps more on to their life in more extreme ways is is an addiction to uh, caffeine and nicotine and I always thought that was weird like caffeine and nicotine is always come caffeine and nicotine I mean like red Bulls you know and then okay I gotta go smoke it so the idea there is you know they will say it gives me rest it helps me it gives me some rest and really what i think is being said is it keeps me keyed on it keeps me aware it keeps me emotionally awake so i can either be on guard or be extra cautious to make sure nothing happens which again only leads then to exhaustion like, you can't, these are God sized things that we're trying to do. And oftentimes, relationally, life becomes quite confusing, which we'll get into uh, in just a moment. So, it's where you know, small irritants and, and perhaps even disappointments are interpreted because we're emotionally keyed up as being larger than they truly are, because everything then is emotion, tends to be emotionally intensified. So whether it's hyperarousal, or the second symptom um, is intrusion. This this is often the symptom where people are saying, you probably think I'm crazy, right? Uh, Intrusion has the idea of our minds kind of being hijacked with the memories of trauma and our woundedness, where we get stuck just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And with the thinking comes the feeling. We get stuck in those places almost held captive to our very own traumas. Uh, this is also where triggers and flashbacks will take place, you know, stimulated by just simple smells or sounds or sensations. It'll take you right, take you right back, and there you are, feeling the emotions, and the mind then becomes hijacked with the memories uh, all over again. Or it's, of course, sleep being interrupted. So now sleep becomes difficult, dreams, uh, nightmares that we're having, restlessness in, in sleep, um, bringing us again and again to this point where we're feeling our vulnerability, we're feeling our brokenness in such significant ways. That's where we tend to feel like, man, I'm, I'm out of control. right? But then third is constriction. And, and in reference to constriction, uh, Brad is speaking of emotional constriction. This this is the symptom that typically occurs when, you know, the symptoms of hyperarousal and intrusion have kind of lessened. You've kind of gone through that portion uh, of your journey, and things are kind of settling down. It's where extreme circumstances that you've gone through make... The normal experiences of everyday life feel as though, as Brad says, they're muted. It's almost like emotionally I just don't fit into the norm. I I just don't know how to operate in the norm. I, I, I feel almost removed from the norm of life because I've been in this emotional extreme place and so my feelings then are ratcheted up. This is where I feel. It's constricting my emotions to only feel the extreme, and I don't feel much in the norm of life. Uh, Brad gives the example of jumping on a trampoline. I mean, you jump on a trampoline, it's like you know you're, you're you're experiencing the up and down, and suddenly you jump off, and you feel like your feet are like cement. You you, you have no normal kind of feeling, just. Normal bounce to everyday life. It's like I feel like it's cement. That's what Brad is saying emotionally is the experience. That, that I can't feel unless, every, it, unless situations get ratcheted up. And so the response to this um, relationally leads to either isolation on one hand or immersion. Isolation because like I don't know how to act. I don't, like, I don't know how to feel in the norm. Like, and, and just to get real with us as a church, um, this has been the experience of some of our members who have gone through very difficult things, who then try to come back into a normal, like everyone's just kind of normal, happy, and, and, and going about their life. And I don't know how to feel in these moments. I don't know how to interact, which just brings stress Upon the individual, not only will others say things that are hurtful, but will I say that will I do things that aren't right or don't seem in place and so there's there's fear and stress when it comes so there's isolation relation there's also immersion um, for those who who find this symptom of emotional constriction it's the idea that like I I rush into relationships and heighten them to a place that they don't belong. So this is where, at times, um, sexual issues can come into play. It's false intimacy. I'm I'm running in to get an experience in this relationship, or maybe it's not necessarily sex. Maybe it's just I'm sharing everything without any kind of filter. And so it's isolation. I'm pulling back because I don't know how to act or I step in and I'm, I'm, I'm pouring it all out and I'm trying to go somewhere in intimacy with someone where I should not be going. So that's relationally. Of course, this is also where self-harm comes into play. When life isn't immediately troubled, well, I only feel when things are intense. And so self-harm, I begin to cut or do dangerous things, thrill-seek, right, in order to just feel. Um, we, we've had individuals stay with us over the years, and, and we've told them, as you step into our home, just know, like, it is going to feel like an utterly boring experience. Like, you're going to want, you're, you're probably going to go a little crazy, and that's okay, Right? But it's going to just feel so boring because for these folks, they lived in the ups and the downs and the extremes of life now to come into something that it's like, I don't even know how to engage normalcy, right? So oftentimes, you know, those are going to be the response, whether it's relationally or whether it's self-harm. Self-harm, again, is just where I got to feel something, even if it's pain. I gotta get an opiate relief. Gotta feel something because in the norm, I can't feel. So these are just a few. And and to add on to this, you you, you can you can just imagine the sense of shame that these things bring upon us. Right? Like suddenly I, I'm this suddenly I'm this crazy person. Suddenly I'm I'm out of it. I I don't belong. Even as I've talked to neighbors, I don't belong in a context like this. Like, forget about the religiosity and the fact that this is a church building. It's a bunch of people gathering together, and they seem to be happy. I don't know how many people I've talked to in our neighborhood that the religion is not the issue for walking in the doors. It's the stress of actually gathering together with many people who seem to be happy. That reveals that there's some pretty intense woundedness and emotional pain that's going on within their own hearts and lives. So hyperarousal, intrusion, constriction, three common symptoms. I hope that's helpful and not just getting kind of clinical. Now, there's others within our church who are much more, they're they're given to those fields uh, and probably may add things to that. So this is just a learning experience for myself as well. It's the anatomy of our brokenness, but second and more brief, the answer to our woundedness. We'll look at the practicals of this next week. But it's important in verse 25, Jesus has invited the woman at the well to become a worshiper of the Father. The woman, this wounded woman, she responds by saying, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming and He will tell us everything. What in the world is she saying? She's actually referring to the Messiah who's going to reveal the backwardness of this life to us. He's going to show us why the brokenness is so broken, why my life is so shattered. He's going to reveal to me why it is that life is the way, he's the revealer, he's going to bring and teach us all that has gone wrong. He will make sense of our brokenness and make a way for our healing, for our relationship to the Father. He, in that sense, is the way maker. He's the revealer, the way maker. And Jesus responds to her saying, I am he. Like, I'm the guy. I'm that revealer. I'm that Waymaker. And if you you know wonder what is the answer, what is the truth, what is the way forward in all our sin and brokenness, we too should be hearing Jesus say, Hey, I am He. He's putting Himself forward as the answer. And we know this expression. Jesus saying, I am He, it it, it goes back. To, it's the I am statements, it's the reference to Yahweh, Jesus is saying, even in this short little phrase, I am he. He's saying, I am God. Or as John would say in John chapter 1, verse 1, this is the word, the logos. And we didn't talk about this last week. But when it comes to this idea of the word or the logos, it's reference to the one who brings equilibrium to our brokenness. Have you ever experienced vertigo? Blah awful. And what's the issue when it comes to vertigo? Well, your equilibrium is off, right? So you live in this world of just utter chaos and dizziness. You can't even stand straight without just kind of falling over, you know, or you're you're at the, the toilet continually puking because your world is just spinning out of order. That's the idea here of the word or the logos. It has the idea of He is the one who brings equilibrium back to the brokenness, to the chaos, to this vertigo-like world. It's Jesus who is the answer, as John has written in chapter 1, verse 1. He's the Word. He's the Logos. Or, the other illustration is is this. When I was a little kid, we, we had these little toy sailboats. You know, whether it was, you know, bath time and you're tossing the sailboat in there, finding the creek next door, you know, and throwing it into the creek, this stupid sailboat would always just, it was always top heavy. Like, what's the point? This is, you know, so frustrating as a kid. Why does this stupid boat not design to do what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to sit up, but it always would be top heavy, it would fall over. Frustrating. And then, as a little kid, I saw that there was this fin on the bottom side of the boat. Right? And there was this little pinhole in the fin. And come to find out, you were to put this wire through the pin and then connect weights to the wire. So the weight would set the boat into the water so that the sail would go upright. That's also the idea of logos, word, word. Jesus is, for us, the greater weight of glory that brings order or a reference point to our life. He takes all the broken pieces and he he, he is the greater weight that sets it upright so, in some sense, the wind can catch our life. He's the equilibrium. He's the greater weight of glory. He is the word. He is the logos. He is the answer to our brokenness. Now, it's not a mistake that John will refer to the word, the Logos, in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, in the beginning was the word, which is to point us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, right? It's to recognize that Jesus, who is the word, is the God who created all things, who now has come as the word, the equilibrium, the healer, the way maker, the revealer, to set all that's broken back in its place. He is not only the creator, but He is the recreator. He is not only the creator, He is the restorer, the redeemer. So that is all freighted in to this little phrase I am He. Jesus is saying, I'm the answer to the woundedness of your life. Yeah. What sin has broken. I'm here to bring healing to it. Now, when you hear that, I know it sounds like Sunday school cliche. Who's the answer? Jesus is the answer. Well, of course he is. Like, that's what we're supposed to say as Christians, you know, Jesus is the answer. It it feels cliche when you know the complexities of your woundedness and trauma. When When you know, when you feel, I'm crazy. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is the answer. It just feels like it's weak. Like, what? Like, I'm not here for a Sunday school class. I need something far more than a Sunday school class. It's not intended to be cliche. It's it's intended for simplicity. In all the complexities that we just don't know and don't understand, God just doesn't be like, all right, here's a complex answer to it. (laughs) He makes it simple. Don't let it be cliche. It's not cliche. Jesus really is the answer to the complexities of our woundedness. The simple answer to the complexities of our woundedness. But more so to the text at hand. How does the woman respond to who she begins to understand Jesus to be? There are these re- re- repeated phrases in verse 29, later than in verse 29, or 39. 29 and 39, we have this phrase. And whenever in narrative things are repeated, it's supposed to intensify. You're supposed to get the point. She identifies Jesus... I love this point. As the one who knew all I ever did. Now that phrase may seem like a shaming phrase, like Jesus knows all that, oh man, all I ever did. It's not a shameful phrase for her. He knows all that I ever did, all the brokenness, all the shameful things I ever did, all the hurt that I bear. He knows, he knows it all just this past friday night we're sitting with some friends who are going some they're going through really tough things and we're talking through it and through the tears you know she says i just want to know that god sees me i just want to know that i'm known like, f- forget all the process of, like, healing with our women. Like, I, in the moment, I just need to know that I'm known. That's what the woman at the well was reveling about. There is this God who, although there is chaos abounding, confusion, burden that I don't even know how to handle, there is this God who knows me through and through. J.I. Packer writes this. He says, What matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that He knows me. I am graven on the palms of His hands. I am never outside his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me the way I am so often disillusioned about myself. There is great incentive to worship and love God in that thought. For some unfathomable reason, He wants me as His friend and desires to be my friend and has given His Son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. When you can't see that you are known, God gives us an objective picture that we are known and that we are loved. Jesus will not stay with the woman at the well. Two days. Jesus has to move on. Why? Because he eventually needs to get to Jerusalem. He eventually needs to lay down his life for us. He must carry our sorrows and our griefs. He must take upon himself the penalty of our sin. He knows us. And he loves us to give us this objective picture that he knows and loves us, the picture of the cross. So at times when we ourselves, like in the moment, don't feel it, there's an objective reality to look to, to that cross, where God demonstrated his love for me, and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was yet a broken-down, wounded sinner, (laughs) Christ died for me. Well, next week we'll get into more of the details of how Jesus brings hope and healing to our woundedness. This can be held on to first and foremost. That first, you're normal, (laughs) right? You're normal with all the craziness, you know, that you're feeling. You're normal. But because of Jesus... You're known. That he's demonstrated his love to you in going to that cross on your behalf. You're normal, but you're known because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the fact that you know us, that you took initiative to know us, That even you, Jesus, you were willing to embrace the limitations of humanity to come and to know us in our pains, to know us in our struggles, to know us in our woundedness and trauma. Thank you, even as you sat at the well, wearied, (laughs) as you were. Thank you, thank you Jesus that you were willing to step into the mire, step into the pit, step into the brokenness to become our equilibrium. Thank you that you're with us when our world is feeling like a vertigo world. And thank you that you're not just with us but that you know us through and through you see us. So Lord, I pray um, specifically for those who are stuck, stuck in just the the emotional trials, stuck in the difficulties they are they are looking and, and wondering am I known am I seen in all of this God I pray that you would help them look to the cross the symbol of your love for us that objective historical reality that we can look to it hang our souls upon it and know yes you love us and you know us but lord i also pray spirit of god i pray that you would do as revelation or romans 5 says that you would pour over their hearts the love of the father that they would sense something of your nearness that that they would even feel something of arms around them, holding them, that their hearts would be at peace knowing that your love is surrounding them, that it wouldn't just be an objective reality to look to the cross, but it would be the wonderful subject of feeling that your love is near and has them. God, may it be that they feel that they are known by you. And Lord, we also then pray for those of us who have just kind of like say, well, this, this stuff doesn't exactly apply to me. I haven't gone through anything crazy recently and I, I've just kind of lived life as it's been lived from all the other harder stuff than of the past. Lord, I, I pray that we would actually truly apply the truth of who you are to our lives. That we wouldn't be afraid to perhaps begin to process where our past struggles lie, so that we could truly find the the freedom, the hope, that we would really, truly, rightly steward the pains that we perhaps have felt in the past, rather than bottling things up, rather than just closing things off, and just kind of carrying this anchor to our souls. It becomes so normal to us in the here and now. And yet, you are the one who wants to bring hope and healing. You are the truth that wants to inform the pains of our life so that they're rightly stewarded for your glory. Where we've sectioned them off of our life or we've put them away in the back closets of our life, Lord, would, would it be that even in this time we would find something of a safe place to be able to open up those doors of the past and to even begin to process through with you the pains that we've suffered so that they might be rightly stewarded for your In this moment, Jesus, we thank you that when when the Father is seeking us to worship Him in all with all that we are, even the skeletons in the closets, God, thank you that you are gentle with us. You're never calling us to just swing open the door as a bowl in a china closet, just to get things out. No, Lord, you're you're good with us. You're careful with us. You're kind to even, some, like, in some sense, go at our pace. What we're able to do in the moment, you're willing to work with that and yet still call us to yourself. So, thank you that this can be a process. We'll bring our pains to you and see you deal gently with us. We love you. We thank you. You are an amazing God. So, Lord, we pray, bring hope and healing to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Let's take a few more moments. Um, many of us, those wounds are very clear to us, and we know what they are. Uh, but there may be some of us that haven't thought through what those wounds are. And, uh, you know, maybe we're feeling the effects of a wound and we don't know Why? we've never taken the time to identify what that cause is so i want to just take a few more minutes of silent prayer and um, let's ask the lord you know maybe there is something that you have been wounded by and you've never dealt with it let's pray that the lord will put it upon your heart to bring that to him and maybe maybe you've been wounded by something you've never even identified it let's pray that the lord would help you identify those things so that we can take care of it and be healed from that So let's just take a few moments of silent prayer into these things. Continue working in our hearts right now. And I pray that we wouldn't walk out of here this afternoon and leave this message here, but Lord, that you would use these words that Dan taught us um, and the story of the woman at the well who you relentlessly pursued to set free from past wounds. Lord, would you use the, the beauty of that story, that truth, to set us, your people, free from wounds in our past? Lord, it's so easy to buy into the lie that when we come to church we don't need to tell other people what we're struggling with we don't need to ask for help Lord help us to be free from that and to be willing to come before your cross surrounded by your people and to express the things that we're battling and to express the things that are weighing us down that have wounded us in the past Lord so that, that we might be able to Together, collectively, pour into one another, and and through the ministry of your Spirit and your people, Lord, that we might see your people set free from wounds, that we would see inner healing take place, that we would see um, trauma erased, and your people walking abundantly in the life that you've bought for us. So, Lord, I again ask that you would reveal wounds that need to be dealt with, Lord, where the wounds are already clear and. Um, very present in the mind. Would you grant the ability and the willingness and the freedom to to reach out for help with those things? Lord, we long to see broken hearts made new, and so we ask that you would do that work in our church. And Lord, that that work would start right now. In Jesus' name. Would you guys stand? We're going to close with a song. typical benediction, but I want to share the words of Matthew 11 with you guys. I want to leave this with you as we depart today. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things, including the healing of your past wounds. And no one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him so jesus says come to me all who labor all who are heavy laden and i will give you rest that's a promise that we can depend on take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light love you guys grace and peace if you need if you want prayer need prayer, you need help with all this stuff, please let us know. Please don't be shy. Don't feel like you don't need help. Um, Don't feel like anybody's going to be judging you. Um, Bring those wounds to Jesus. Bring them to the altar and let us know how we can help, okay? Grace and peace. You guys be blessed. You're just missed.